You're listening to a podcast on Catholic Saints. This podcast is produced by the Augustan Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith. Welcome to Forum Now. I'm Tim Gray, president of the Augustan Institute. And joining me is a special guest, Paul McCusker, who uh, does many things. He's authored many, many books, and one of the books we're going to talk about is his new book, Warrior Maiden, in our Virtue Chronicle series. So I guess we'll start off with talking about the Virtue Chronicle series and what the, the goal of the Virtue Chronicle series, and then we'll talk about the new book that Paul has. And uh, this is a, a, going to be a fabulous book for kids, and we're going to talk about the age group and who should be reading this and who should be getting this. But what we're trying to do with several of our things at the Augustine Institute is really evangelize young people, our kids, our children, and form them through great stories. We really believe here at the Augustine Institute that stories are formational. And they're formative in, in so many, many ways that become foundational for a, uh, a child's imagination, for their worldview, and for their perception of God and faith and relationships. And so we do this through our curriculum. We have it with our Signs of Grace curriculum that Paul has contributed for. Uh, that curriculum where we have stories woven about Hope Springs and uh, different characters in Hope Springs. So uh, we're going to talk about that, but l- let's just start with the idea of the Virtue Chronicles, Paul. What, what's this idea of the Virtue Chronicles? It's a series well, of books for kids aimed yeah. at what? Well, and, and uh, to go back, you mentioned Hope Springs, which yeah. is kind of the world in which this operates. We've created this entire mythological world, Hope Springs, Colorado coincidentally, yep. and and it focuses in on the town and then a particular family, the Perry family, and they go to uh, a, a Catholic church there. And really, uh, what I tried to create was a world in which we could write for almost any age group, and it would fit into the world in whatever way that we needed it to. So uh, the first series that we did was The Adventures Nick of Sam. Nick and Sam. Right, and I love um, The Adventures of Nick and Sam uh, just are terrific. I remember reading the one on Advent. Uh, on the plane, and this person kept asking me, why are you laughing so hard, you know? Uh, it's just, you've got a great sense of humor. It's just, it's witty, it's fun, it, yet it's very personal. And one of the beautiful things is for Catholics, we don't have typical contemporary children's stories or family stories that talk about being Catholic today in the mm. world that we live in today. Well, and that's, that's what I'm after. I, mean, I think most of my writing career has been trying to figure out how to tell stories that make our faith real, um, and real in real life. And I don't mean issue-oriented. I mean just living it out day to day. So Nick and Sam, uh, it's Nick and Sam, Samantha, his sister, they're twins, and they live in, in, in this small town, and it's basically exploring through their stories for first readers, so we're dealing with six, seven, eight, nine-year-olds, um, what it is to be them as Catholics, just playing out their faith with the kinds of choices and challenges kids that age face. So that was the first component. But even as we were developing that, as I'm working on that, the oldest brother is Andrew Perry. He's 12 years old. And I already knew that we would be doing books for 10, 12, 13-year-olds that would be of a different style, that would be more interesting, I think, to that age group, which meant uh, they would be a little more fantastic, not slice of life like Nick and Sam, but this would go into a whole other direction and yet stay true to the world that that I've created. So the Virtue Chronicles is basically Andrew Perry, who is interested in history, 
and, and it's funny, if you read in the Advent book, there's a chapter in the Advent book where the family, the Perry family goes into this old antique type shop and there's something weird going on. There's a girl in the shop who seems to be watching Andrew and they're not quite sure why. And then we move on and the book goes on and there's nothing else about it. That's actually the setup chapter. Oh, nice, yes. For what becomes the Virtue Chronicles. The girl is a girl named Eve, Eve Virtue. And she's like the great, great, great granddaughter of the founder of the bank in Hope Springs. And he was this entrepreneurial adventure type who also went missing. Well, she is descended from him and she's found journals. She's found some stuff down in this office of his that's very mysterious. And what we learn very quickly is one of the items that she found is this stone, which is called um, the Radiant Stone. He called it that, and he was had been collecting them and looking for them back in the 1920s. They actually allow the kids to time travel. You touch a facet of the stone, and you go. And so he had to kind of map out where this is. And what this allowed us to do, yeah. and you and I talked about this yeah. at length, yeah. was to allow not only to make history come alive for modern-day readers, but then within that history, we're exploring characters and saints. Um, to show kids, to model for kids what it is to be heroic, what it is to show virtues, what it is to, to take their Catholicism and bring it into their lives, not only in the everyday way, but also to bring it into their imagination and to baptize the imagination with the possibilities of faith. I love it because it gives a, a wide reach for these children because they don't know where, where is the next story going to take them. And what characters are they going to encounter? And so the, in the first Virtue Chronicle story, they go back to uh, England. And yeah. they, you know, in historic England, they, medieval England, they encounter Robin Hood. Mm -hmm. And it's really great because, of course, maybe hopefully many of you know that we did an uh, audio drama on the adventures of Robin Hood uh, that is just an extraordinary audio story. And so I know a lot of kids and families absolutely love that story. And so what's great is that now they have a book in the first Virtue Chronicle book uh, on, on the, uh, the saintly outlaw. But it doesn't even repeat the, the, the no, what that, I did, though. That's, that was the fun part, yeah. is that when I wrote the script for the audio drama, there were stories that I wanted to tell, but we had limitations on how much time we could take. So there were a couple of stories that I mapped out, but then I pulled out. And then when we agreed to go this direction and, and do this with uh, Andrew and Eve going back in time, I basically tell complimentary stories from the Robin Hood adventure that if you listen to the audio drama and then read that book, they actually tie in together. You can enjoy them without each other, yeah. but if you have them both, it actually makes it more fun. And I know, uh, I know one family here in, in town that one of the, the boys, Gratian, is a huge fan of the Robin Hood stories. I mean, mm -hmm. I think he's listened to it about a dozen times. Mm -hmm and loved the idea that he could get this book and continue the adventure. Mm -hmm. And what's so exciting is that there's not just are you encountering the character of Robin Hood in the story in that historical time period, but you have two kids that they can identify. And that's what's so powerful, I think, about this. So talk about, you know, Andrew and Eve. They're, they're how old? Well, they're, yeah, they're 11, 12-ish. Mm -hmm. I, I try to keep it in that range. Yep. So they're pre-adolescent. Um, but mature enough and old enough to have the kind of inquisitive thinking that you, you would need for them to engage in these worlds that they're going into, because otherwise most of us would just curl up in a fetal position and hide, you know. <laughs> right. Um, so they go back, and she had already been back to the time of Robin Hood, and then she gets Andrew to go with her. So in the first book, 
um, they have this big adventure, then they come back, and and I, I generally finish the stories, but then usually in the last paragraph, there's just a little bit of a handoff then to the next story, so that hopefully readers will want to keep reading. And so we did Robin Hood for the first, and then in the second, they wind up going back to the time of Joan of Arc. And that's the context for The Warrior Maiden. That's, right. that's this next, the sequel to that. Right. And, uh, and of course, my goodness, you can't get a more dramatic saint mm -hmm. than St. Saint Joan of Arc. I mean, you, you've got, here you've got, Lily, oh, I love the title, A Warrior Maiden. I mm -hmm. mean, what a tension right there in the title. Uh, and you have this warrior maiden, Joan of Arc, and you have France, you have the time of the church with corruption, but also with renewal, and you have uh, this incredible calling upon Joan, and she's going to lead an army. And in the history of Europe, uh, there has never been a woman who had led a conventional army It was a ever. huge pivot point, yeah, as so it turned out. So and this is a true story, and yep. then your characters go back and encounter Joan and, and and bring the children into this story, which I think is so exciting. Well, and it's amazing because with Joan, I mean, when they went back to Robin Hood and we're dealing with the question of how, how do you fight for justice when the laws themselves are unjust? And, and asking that question as we did in the audio drama and then bringing it to the kids at, at their ages to, to process that, to kind of work with him. They're on his side and they see evil and they see possibly how to fight that. Well, in here it's fascinating because you have Joan of Arc who's only a few years older than they are. I mean, we're not dealing with 12-year-olds right. and That's they're right. dealing yes. with someone who's in his 30s. Right. They are dealing with a girl who is 16, 17. I mean, she's not that much older than they are. And that was what I found fascinating about Joan. For her to respond to God's call, to dare to say, he has told me what we need to do and to actually go to, to the Dauphin, the prince, and say, we need to get you crowned. We are going to conquer where the British have taken this one city, the British and the Allies. It's been under siege. We're going to go into that. This is a 16, 17 year old girl. Now, my daughter is this age. And the whole time I'm working on the book, I'm thinking, <laughs> how does that even work? And so there are times when, when I write about the characters, I'm, I'm interested in their saintliness, but the humanity combined mm. with the saintliness. What does that look like? How do they respond to God and the fact that they say yes to God, regardless of the cost, whatever it costs them, they're going to do it. And But then to see her also at times, and this is true from the chronicles that we have, her, her situation is one of the most chronicled saints that we have because of the trials that That's they right. did and they had well, transcripts. Well, this and, is one of the things I love. and I just want to let the audience know that when you do a story, whether it's an audio drama like mm -hmm. uh, you know Brother Francis or St. Patrick, or St. Cecilia, or any of the, these books where you're going back into, in, into the story, you do a lot of research and, mm. and before you start writing. So tell us about what you, surprised you about Joan and your research and how well, you went about that. Well, and that was exactly it. One is to keep remembering how old she was and that yeah. she was doing all these amazing things, leading far more experienced generals. And, I mean, she had thousands of troops that were essentially there for her to use. The Dauphin finally went, well, maybe she is from God, so let's see what she can do. And if she loses, hey, no loss. You know, we lost her, but, you know, mm -hmm. we're not worse than we were, which sounds a bit cynical. But she, there were times when she was very much a 16, 17-year-old girl. She, 
There were times when she got a bit petulant. There were times when she got frustrated and she got angry. And it wasn't just emotional anger. You can understand how she got frustrated by mm -hmm. the idea of, of politics and circumstances thwarting God's mission. And she kept having to push back against those things. But every now and again, she would do it like a young girl would do it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't find that off-putting because mm -hmm. you don't expect mm -hmm. her to be 50 years old in her sensibility. I actually found it very warm and endearing mm -hmm. to see her even while she's trying to accomplish this great mission from God. I think that's one of the things that people really long for. And when they discover it, it really engages them to find the humanity of mm -hmm. the saints and of these great figures. I mean, when you encounter, I know for Peter, for example, and we, I talked about this in my Bible study on Peter, that when you encounter the humanity of Peter, it just the realism uh, sets in. And mm -hmm. you realize these are real figures that Jesus called. He didn't just bring them out of heaven. Uh, and you get these interesting facets. You get their character flaws, you get their weaknesses, mm -hmm. and you get their strengths and their nobility and their greatness, and it's inspiring. And that's what Andrew and Eve then learn, and then the readers pick up as they're going through. They're seeing the two modern characters interacting and reacting to this world and the strangeness of the world that they're dealing with and all the practices, everything from what they're wearing and the customs. And of course, for the second book, I put it in France where even trying to pronounce a lot of the things, if you're <laughs> trying to read this out loud, is sometimes difficult. Yeah. And, um, and yet I don't think it's off-putting. I try to simplify those things as much as possible. But that's the value of an Andrew, the time travel uh, format, that whole premise, is it allows modern kids with their modern sensibilities to see other worlds, in a sense, other times, to see the people of those times and then how those people responded to God's call. Mm -hmm. which can be very inspiring. It can be, it, it can be unnerving at times as they're going with her, and it seems like she's recklessly going into situations that better minds would say, don't do that. In fact, they often try to, but because of her faith, she was sort of reckless in, mm -hmm. but I know God will deliver this. God is going to do what he promised he's going to do, and she went for it, and they see that, and then they participate in it. Mm -hmm. So you also see the spiritual dynamic on the kids as they're following her and her adventure and how that impacts them. Hmm. Well, Paul, wearing my parents' hat, I, 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 parents are always looking for good content to, get their, to feed their kids or their mm -hmm. grandchildren, right? And uh, what I love about this is that, okay, there's you know, they're not just reading. Reading is good, but they're reading good content, and so they're learning about history. Mm -hmm. And that's fascinating. That's great. But then they're also learning, uh, I mean, there's a play here on, on the Virtue Chronicles. Why don't you talk about that play? Because that's obviously Eve's name, but then mm -hmm. you're also doing something else with the virtues, too. Well, and that is exploring them, um, mm -hmm. exploring how, not as some abstract ide theological idea. We always, you know, hear about the virtues. We hear about seven deadly sins. We hear these things almost in an abstract sense sometimes in how we teach it. And to embody them through yeah. the characters, to show them playing out in, in crucibles, that's mm -hmm. to me an important thing. It's not only playing out in normal life, but it also plays out at, at the pressure points, which mm -hmm. is often where we realize what it is we really believe and what mm -hmm. we think. And a lot of times to engage kids' imaginations yeah. and to make these things more real, not as abstract ideas, but you just show them 
and not even preachy. It's not even, I, well, I try not to write the, yeah. anything preachy no, and that's or proselytizing. It is more, we're just exploring this together through the characters and the situations. That's what I think is so powerful about storytelling and for the moral imagination of children and to form mm -hmm. them is that you're not saying a didactic way, here is a virtue, a virtue is a good habit, mm -hmm. and here is the virtue of honesty, here is the virtue of courage and fortitude and defining it because that doesn't, stick but when you when the when the children read these stories and they see these virtues played out and they see Andrew and Eve discussing an experience and processing what they're learning mm -hmm. uh, you're it's it's you're kind of teaching them through osmosis here they're they're gaining uh, insight into these different virtues and into a particular value system that we call a worldview mm -hmm. right well and I think through story we allow the imagination, we allow the reader to also make choices because when we're spoon feeding, there are no choices to be made. They're just rolling along with it and they're either accepting the conclusions or not. But through story, as we're exploring these ideas, we're not only showing the positive, we're showing certain degrees of, of the negative. In other words, there are challenges that come with following Christ. There are challenges of, uh, in, in our world, in all worlds, of being virtuous. And what do we do when those challenges are hard? They're really difficult. They go against uh, the ease with which we'd like to live, or they go against um, what we want in the moment. I want this, but I, I shouldn't have it. And so as we're seeing that play out, it's modeling for kids positively and negative. I mean, I believe in the intelligence of kids, mm -hmm. the kids when they're reading. They often pick up a lot more than the adults do. C.S. Lewis mm -hmm. said that. Yeah. He said generally with Chronicles of Narnia, the analogies, the different connections he was making spiritually, kids got that long before their parents did. It's amazing. I know you that have, probably have that same experience I do, but when my son was reading the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, he was making all I mean, they immersed themselves, mm -hmm. and, and their imagination just is full bore on the story and the narrative, and they're, they're thinking about this. That's the beautiful thing, as I watch my son read good stories like this, is he would imbibe the story and enjoy it while he heard it or read it, but then his imagination would then keep replaying it and thinking about the scenes mm -hmm. and the characters and you know, the, 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 the battle between good and evil. Well, and that's what kids do. I mean, generally young, and they finally learn through all these studies that all those times when we think kids want to watch over and over and over again, that they learned with younger kids the way the brain is processing is every time they're watching it, they're picking up something different. It's mm. almost like they start with black and white, and every time they watch, they're adding a new color. They're picking yeah. up something new because it's how they yeah. process, and then they're projecting themselves into it. They're identifying and connecting enough that they then begin to process in terms of, well, what would I do? How would I respond to that? And, and, and that's how they almost play act through that's the great. stories they're engaging in. I, I, I can imagine there's two ways that this is going to be used. I mean, obviously, you're going to get a lot of kids who just love to read, and, and they're going to take this book, and they're going to disappear in their room reading, and that's fantastic, right? Mm -hmm. But then I know, too, a lot of families, and I know our family did this, we would read out loud. Mm -hmm. We would get a good story, and that was family time. And oftentimes the younger kids are picking up on little pieces, mm -hmm. and then they want that story reread. You know, you know. I remember, you know, we would read out loud The Hobbit, you know, mm -hmm. or The Chronicles of Narnia, and Joe would, you know, six months later, nine months later, sometimes a month later, can we read that again? Can you mm -hmm. read that out loud again? And so I, I think you see families doing the same thing mm -hmm. with. 
the Virtue Chronicles. And also it gives an excuse for families to be families. And sometimes yeah. the kids also realize it's, it's the way you're going to get your parents to engage it with you. Mm. You know, because they're always thinking of all the other things they need to do. And the kids want the attention. They want that connectedness. And story allows for the connectedness. Because yeah. if, if a story is well written, yeah. parents, I mean, C.S. Lewis also said that. He kept saying children's mm. stories are not just for children. The best yeah. children's mm. stories will be with you your entire life. It doesn't matter how old you are, they're still meaningful, they still have something for you. And so the, uh, we never believed, and, and we've talked about this, that for parents to engage in what their children are engaged in should never be a punishment for parents. Exactly. This phenomenon of watching something or listening to something or reading something should be working on multiple levels so that it engages the kids, but the parents don't feel punished for having to do it. Well, that's what I, I appreciate when I read the Nick and Sam Adventures, uh, The Adventures of Nick and Sam, uh, reading a couple of those volumes and just laughing and, and just enjoying it. I mean, there's, there's a humor that sometimes the the kids will get, and, and, but sometimes the parents get it more. It, the punchline hits the parents more than the kids. Well, and, and we used to, I mean, I've always joked about the, what we call the Warner Brothers thing, which was when you watch a Bugs Bunny cartoon, they, back in the beginning when they were really good, they worked on two levels. So you're watching it as a cartoon and responding to it as a kid. Well, then as I would get older and watch it, then I realized there were little side things, and Pixar does this well. They would just put something in and the parents are laughing. But the kids don't feel left out. <laughs> mm -hmm, they mm -hmm. may not get it on the level the ki parents did, but they do get it on their level because it's still usually funny yeah. with or without the added knowledge that the parent has. So that's a lot of it in the writing is trying to figure out how to do a story in a way for any age that uh, if the parents engage, it is enjoyable for them and meaningful for them in the same way. Well, Paul, when, when someone, you know, okay, so this is volume two now, and, you're, mm -hmm. and you've just finished volume three already, right. which is fantastic. That'll be coming out, and uh, maybe we can give people a heads up of what's coming, but uh, what order should they read them in? Do they, do they need to read them in order, or can they just pick up, you know, they, wow, Joan of Arc sounds great, should I just get Joan of Arc, yeah. and then go back and get Robin Hood? What, what, do, you, what do you recommend? Well, I would generally say do it in order as you can. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact is I try to write them uh, isolated enough mm -hmm. so that you can come in and either reintroduce or bring into it enough of, say, key things from the first book so that you can read the second book and, and engage with Joan of Arc and that story. And then you can go back and maybe fill in some things if you go back to the first one. I think chronologically is great. I think there's a, a flow that's always good going first, second, third. Um, but if somebody wanted to start here, I think it works on its mm -hmm. own. Uh, because it's her story. I mean, so a yep. Andrew and Eve's stories within that um, have continuity, but you do get her story in the mix, which is, of course, the centerpiece of it all. Tell us about the story that's just just give us a hint of what's coming next. Oh, the well, third, um, the third Virtue Chronicle. Well, I, I do it hesitantly only because, uh, as you know from our meetings, when I first mentioned it, uh, there was a little bit of reaction. And so the third book. Uh, goes into Elizabethan England, so they go back to England, but they're now uh, a few hundred years after Robin Hood and a hundred and something years after this one. Um, and it's Elizabethan, Elizabethan England during the time of the persecution when Queen Elizabeth and her Privy Council had pretty much outlawed Catholicism, pr primarily the priests that were coming in. 
uh, Edmund Campion being one, Father Robert Persons being another, a lot of the, um, and, and uh, I think, what are there, 60-some martyrs. Right. But it was, it was horrific on many levels. Uh, I want to say it's, it was fascinating to write for that time period and to have Andrew and Eve go there. Um, it's kind of a, a, an interesting game of hide-and-seek. Mm. It's called the Hidden Heroes, and the idea is these priests were coming in as heroes, and, but they had to hide. They had priests hold in these old houses yeah. where they were hiding priests because if they were caught, they would be arrested, uh, potentially tortured, and executed. Now, I've done this long enough to know not to drag people into dungeons and <laughs> drag the readers into the worst parts of that, so I'm very careful. Yeah, and yet you do get a sense of the time. I look forward to talking about that story in more detail um, once it comes out. Mm -hmm. But I, I do think that what I love about this is that you're taking kids on an adventure and they're going to experience, you know, uh, St. Joan of Arc and that historical time period of France. They're going to go back to this time of Elizabethan England. You know, they're going to go back to the time of medieval England with the adventures of Robin Hood and, and on and on, right? Mm -hmm. There's more stories to come. And so it's a great way for them to, to learn about the geography and history, but also to learn about, you know, the, the history of the people of God and the church the history of the people of God in the time of Joan, the history of the people of God in the time of this persecution where priests had to hide. It's great for kids to read that and to realize, wow, you know, people really made sacrifices. There are some real challenges here. So that when challenges come in our life, they're not completely taken aback, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. I mean, it all models for us things that we may face in our lifetime. I mean, there's a lot of discussion about that where uh, we are in conflict. In fact, the truer we are as Catholics, the more we are in conflict with our culture uh, in many, many ways. And it's hard. And for kids to learn at an early age what that looks like and how you model a response to that, how to be gracious, but how to also maintain the truth, how to be loving, but you maintain the truth. Mm. All the things that many of these heroes of the faith have done throughout history Andrew and Eve experience it firsthand, and then through them, we experience it as readers. And uh, it plants seeds. A lot of times it's not overt behavior change, mm -hmm. but I know from all the years working on Adventures and Odyssey and other things, when a lot of the readers and listeners would come back and say, I remember this episode, I remember this story. When I was in college, I came up against a situation that reminded me of that show I had heard yeah. 10 years before. And it modeled for me how to respond to it. And that's what I think these stories are meant to do. It's going to plant seeds with these kids that not only engage them in the moment, but will play into the future. You know, that modeling, Paul, is really important because that's how we learn. I mean, even St. Paul says in his letter to the Philippians, imitate us as we imitate Christ. And, you know, for the ancient Greeks, that was the way in which people grew in moral virtue is by imitating those who are more mature, more advanced, what we would call as Christians, holier. Um, and and that's, what you, that's what you're doing here. You're intentionally sending these, these young kids, Andrew and Eve, off to encounter people who, where they see these great virtues of these great heroes, but they also see the vices of the villains. Mm -hmm. And they also see their own weaknesses and challenges and their, the humanity of, of these saints. And it gives them models, as you said, mm -hmm. um, for how to behave. And I, and I know for the Nick and Sam adventures, that was especially true. Mm. Uh, there's some great modeling 
of you know um, the typical problems we face in family life and the typical family conflicts, mm -hmm. and then navigating how you reconcile mm -hmm. and do different things like that. That that's really powerful, and kids need that, and especially in our world today, there's just we don't give uh, Hollywood, I should say, doesn't give great role models to children anymore. That's very rare. And so finding good stories, because I think people feed on stories. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in just this last minute, Paul, tell, tell us about what's your takeaway for, for Joan that you're wanting the kids to really walk away with in terms of a model that inspires them? Well, I think part of it, again, is her age, mm -hmm. that, that sometimes we think, um, a virtue and, and actually re responding to things spiritually or doing things as the church teaches us is something that grown-ups do and that we're off the hook when we're little and to some degree maybe we are because we're still being guided and moving into maturity but what I loved about Joan in particular was that she was young she was a teenager yeah. and she had all that was a teenager in terms of her, her mind and her body and her emotional state, and yet she responded to God's call. And mm -hmm. she was determined to respond to God's call, even up against a lot of hardship and conflict. And that to me is, is a big part of it, is that our, our faith is not for us as older people. Our faith should be part of every aspect of our lives at mm -hmm. every stage of our lives. We need help. We need help to grow and mature. We need the Holy Spirit. We need a lot of things. But every day, kids are faced with choices and challenges where it's shaping who they are and how they respond to it, and they need help in knowing how to. So that's, that's a big takeaway, not yeah. that she was just a saint in that she responded to God's call, but that she was young. She was young and re remarkably young, and I guess it gives us all a courage that, you know, against all odds and against even a hostile culture, if we trust the Lord and act in faith, He'll lead us, and that ultimately God can change the course of human events. Uh, all He needs to do is call those and for those to be receptive to that call. And so these are the kinds of stories we want to feed our children. And you can find uh, war The Warrior Maiden uh, at catholic.market. So you can find this book at catholic.market. It's a great book uh, to give to your children, to give to your grandchildren, and share to get to your local Catholic school. Uh, we want to get this out so that our kids can, can feed on these great stories and be inspired. They need inspiration today. And when we feed them with our Catholic faith, they will be fortified and they will surprise us, just as Joan of Arc surprised many people in her day and age with her fortitude and faith. We need that today. So thank you for joining us and may the Lord bless and keep you. You can watch these interviews in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustan Institute and Ignatius Press with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, e-books, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustan Institute, please visit missioncircle.org.